Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. I made it clear I did not agree with the idea of saying the election was stolen and putting out this stuff, which I told the president was bullshit. And... Uh, you know, I didn't want to be a part of it, and that's one of the reasons that went into me deciding to leave when I did. Well, there he is, former Attorney General Bill Barr, who now, it turns out, we learn in the January 6th hearings in Congress, was a hero, a patriot. Just ask him. He apparently straightened out the president on the whole thing, and now it's part of the march of uh, rearview mirror. Oh, God, I don't he, know what It's to a kind it. of ironic. He was the theorist behind the strong president, the strong executive. But yeah. uh, uh, and now we know where he thinks the limits were. So, yeah, coup is uh, a little too it, strong. It took him a day or two <laughs> to get the legal tomes out and work that out. But anyway, let the truth shine through. Speaking of coups, brother, we, we yeah. have a coup today because we have the great John Heilman back with us. Hello, Heilman. Uh, Hi guys, Rosario of the circus and the recount. Yeah, the recount. Love to, to see you guys. I will. I will say. I don't know if Bill Barr is a hero, but he definitely is a man who knows a thing or two about bullshit. Like, <laughs> yeah, like who's who's a who's a bigger authority on bullshit than Bill Barr? You know? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. But I will say this: he was devastating yesterday, though I have to say. Yeah, no, the facts are devastating. I just. Like Steppy and all these guys are saying, yeah, I was the good German. You know, every time they wanted to sink an unarmed ship, I wrote a stiff letter of protest and, you know, I would have sent it, but we were short of stamps at Craig's Marine Headquarters. You know, I they knew what Motley Crue, what, what gutter snipe mob they were joining. So I, I have so little sympathy for this new rear view mirror whitewashing of, you know, their own roles, uh, roles as unsung heroes. So I, I just wanted to get that off my chest. But the big picture is we are learning a lot. I mean, this is right up there. We got Watergate, the moon landing, and this as big moments in history. You know, now we get to see playback factually when the president of the United States was so batshit crazy, he, he tried to, you know, basically steal power yeah. it's amazing but you know what you know, the difference between the moon landing and watergate is i mean i i remember i'm i'm old enough to remember the watergate hearings which i would watched as a college freshman in my dorm and uh they uh you know there were 80 mil, 85 million i did a podcast with john dean yesterday you remind me 85 million households watching the watergate hearings there were 20 million people watching the hearings, the primetime hearings, Heilman. And, you know, you, I mean, I think that they've done an incredible job. I mean, I think the facts are devastating and they're assembling them in a really impactful way. The question is, I mean, it's important for history. Does it have any impact on anything political? Well, right. I mean, look, first of all, let's just say this. Um, uh, I know you guys because you're hacks par excellence. You hear this yeah. kind of thing all the time. I, I'm like, hey, I want you know, I wonder how many people are going to watch. And and people say, well, it doesn't matter how many people watch. All that matters is that the truth comes out. And I'm like, ah, you know, I seems like the committee by deciding to put their first one in prime time, and I believe their last yeah. one in prime time, is concerned about trying to reach the largest audience. So it's it's a metric that matters. And I'm really interested, David, in that 20 million number in prime time is a good number. Uh, and people have rolled out the benchmarks on on earlier Trump. Uh, uh, controversies, you know, 20 million was, you know, about what you got, I think, for the Kavanaugh hearings and for, and for one of Comey's testimonies. But those, recall, were also during the day. And so it really does, 
uh, it makes clear that the committee's right to have done at least one of these in prime time. My question is about the one that was just yesterday. Yeah. You know, like what are the day side hearings going to be like? Because most of these hearings are happening during the day. And I, I mean, look, I, I think that the whole country should watch. You know, I, I, your thing about Watergate, David, I remember I, the thing I read the other day, 51 hearings, 51 days of hearings and with those kind of numbers. That's how you think about like what the country was like. 51 days with yeah. those kind of numbers that John Dean cited. You know, it is very hard at if the peak is going to be 20, which probably it is. It's going to go down, not up, probably from 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 that first that that was probably the high point. Yeah. You know, it's very hard to it's very hard to move the needle. The question is, is there you know Denver Riggleman, former committee staffer, a Republican committee staffer on the one six committee, was on my podcast on Hell and I Water, and he's like, we're talking about like if we could move two percent, it could be politically meaningful. We don't need to move tens of millions of people. We need to find that two percent uh, who are who are in that camp of. They kind of just haven't really thought about it very much. Murphy, let me ask you a question. You should comment on what John said, but I'm thinking about you, brother. You're out there on the West Coast. These hearings started at 10 o'clock Eastern. Uh, were you sitting there with your nightcap on and uh, in your bathrobe? <laughs> Did you have your? I had my bunny pajamas on, right with the feet. <laughs> I mean, I mean, terrible images on this on this podcast. At least he was clothed. Yeah. Well, look, I have been watching it intermittently. Because, you know, I'm I'm the juror who's in the bag to begin with. But I, I'm the sure thing. Uh, but I would say this. I think, first of all, we're, we're never going to have another Watergate-level political hearing series. Because, you know, it's a different culture now. Sadly, people really cared then. They were glued to it. I watched as a kid. And, by the way, I was standing with our president, who I miss. But I would... <laughs> Young, young eight-year-old Republican, you know, leave him alone. God, so, your parents must have been worried. <laughs> didn't they, didn't your parents send you to counseling? You know, they, Howard Baker won me over in the end. But uh, to, to your point, John, I think there <laughs> is a big casino of what will the impact be? What are the ratings? And they're all, as you say, metrics that matter. But when I think about impact here, I step back from that a little bit. I know in the world we have now, information does get out. The key sound bites, you know, so you don't necessarily have to watch the thing bow to stern to, to, to get the full impact. But two, I think the Democrats are in a bad corner now politically and are just praying this will turn into a Sorkin movie and there'll be a short, you know, soaring speech. A bunch of Republicans will say, damn it, we were wrong. Get up and go arrest Trump. Never going to happen. And it's not going to save their ass in the midterms. Gas and groceries is bigger. But as we used to say around body shops back in my hometown of Detroit, when they wheeled the car in that didn't look too bad, the, the uh, adjuster would come out and say, sorry, lady, but the frame is bent. This car is never going to drive the same. And I think Trump's frame is being bent here. Uh, I think under the surface, there's huge damage to him, which will have a material effect on 2023 and 2024 within the GOP. Can't prove it yet, but I, I hear the bending metal. So here's the baseline, because the Sun-Times in Chicago, just uh, they just did a poll matches up with other the things Sun I've Times? seen. Is there anybody there who can do math? But anyway, keep going. But they poll Republican primary voters. 67% uh, believe the election was stolen. 18% did not. Trump had an 86% favorable rating. And a majority uh, favored him in the Republican primary for 20 uh, 24. He was 30 points ahead of DeSantis, and a major and a, and a healthy majority said that who he endorses matters to them. So that's the baseline that you're starting from, 
And, you know, the question is, are there people, are there independent voters who are on the bubble who can be swayed? And how does Trump react to all this? He put out sort of a batshit crazy response last night, 12 pages. (laughs) Does this drive him to be, I mean, you know, does this drive him to be, uh, to expose himself even further? And does that matter? Well, I don't want to even think about what exposing himself further would look like. That'd be worse than Murphy in his bunny pajamas. But Well, well you just wiped out the image, thank God. So, yes. <laughs> I think one thing you guys have, have talked about this and, and that we've seen, there's definitely out there, and, it, and you saw it most vividly in Georgia, this kind of vote, this kind of Republican who's who's I think get picked up in a lot of this polling that sort of is still, they, they say, hey, I'm pro-Trump. You know, I like Trump. Trump's great. He made America great again. And and I, you know, I, right. I, I love the guy. And, all, and if you ask me if I like the guy compared to a bunch of people I've never heard of, I might say I'm for him in the primary. But right. It, but I but I also like Brian Kemp and I'm not going to like take Trump's marching orders on that. I could disagree with Trump on that. And, you know, the question of if it becomes tangible, like you start to really get a look at Ron DeSantis, are these people all that that even now nominally say they're for Trump in the primary, are they going to stick with him? As Trump continues, to Mike's point, to have his his frame bent, and to just kind of or, basically- or that he appears bent, yes, and that and that and that and he makes a lot of noise too. It's like there's you definitely pick up from Republicans that I meet, normal Republicans, humans in the world, who are kind of like, yeah, I loved it, but he talks a lot about the past. It's like he's always talking right. about 2020. He's right. such a distraction. Right. Like, is you know maybe it's time to look to the future. There's a little bit of that out there. Doesn't mean he's not still really powerful, but. There's more of that out there that I picked up a year ago. Just one most powerful word in advertising is new, and Trump could be up against new. The subtext I think that's working in Republican psychology from the hearings is, you know, it's all tribal. Our team, their team. Bad New York Times team, bad AOC team, good Trump team. Right. Boy, look how he is with his own guys. You oh, know, even even God. in our even people like us, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe, you know, he did good, but don't criticize him. But maybe it's time to move on. And they're getting yeah. a, a more nuanced look inside Trump world, inside their own team. And that's different. The thing that I keep saying is I, I keep an eye on DeSantis, not just because he is surging. And you don't know how people react when the spotlight is fully turned on yeah. them. And we'll see. He, you know, he has he has qualities that I think could become off-putting. But he, you know, I always believe the incumbent president defines the race. And if the complaint about Biden is that he's old and appears, you know, weak, uh, then young and muscular is a good look. And um, and so and that and, you know, Trump will be 77 when the next election turns up. So old and crazy may not be what people end up looking for. Maybe. But I'll tell you this. If there's nothing else that people take away from these hearings, they should ask themselves this. If if. What what is Trump's takeaway and what his takeaway is going to be? I'm not bringing any halfway guys with me next time. There's not going to be a Bill Barr, uh, you know. There, yeah, there's not team going to normal, be a, quote a Rosen. Yeah, there's not going to be a team normal. There's going to be guys who understand that loyalty to Trump trumps everything, and that is a very very scary thing. Well, it's scary. Yeah. It, that's that's totally scary. And Mike, I want to ask you this question because you've you've been inside a few campaigns on the Republican side. 
uh, forget about the fact that some of them were ambivalent, which of course anybody should have been, and also forget about the fact that they actually at the time put all their ambivalence aside. Bill Stepien and all these people who, you know, Bill Barr was like basically, I'm going to go out and look for fraud that doesn't exist. But then when I, at the very end, when I don't find it, I'm going to stand up and say I was a good guy. Stepien, all these people who were, you know, yeah. at that time perfectly willing to make the deal with the devil. They were also just fucking incompetent. I mean, what a shit show that campaign was. Yeah, On the totally. inside, it was more of a shit show than we even imagined from the outside. Have you, I mean, like, if Trump gets people who are as crazy to run the next one, as David suggests, or as as, as fiercely loyal, isn't that also mean that the competence level will just go down, that it will be like the, the yeah, most, even more yeah, incompetent? No, it's campaign? a very good question no. because you go from semi-competent dregs who spend most of the time on their own personal agendas, like a step in. How, how do I make it work for me? You know, sure, I'll join the Luftwaffe for a year, but I'll learn to fly. And, you know, um, I, I normally don't go to the Third Reich stuff because it's not morally equivalent. That was funny, the, though. That was that, good. Now that we're going to the, the, the weasel Nuremberg. I, I just can't resist. Uh, but anyway, and then Trump and, you know, by the way, I don't know who I'm mad at. The cynics who know better, like a step in. Or the total dregs, sure, Trump death camps, I'm on it, sir, because they actually believe the crazy shit. Maybe they're less culpable morally because they have no compass. But to your point, yeah, he's going to bring in the cement heads and and the robots. Yeah. And the crazy people. Yeah. Right. And it's, I mean, it's really gonna bad. Be, they're going to be... They're going to be make America great again pinwheel hats. And I, I think the there's White one House. other crazy dimension in all this. You cannot watch these hearings if you have any sentient IQ. And not understand if you ever had suspicions but not doubts about how bad it is. And you come away from this just thinking this guy cannot be president of the United States again. He cannot. You know, I'll pay any price. We'll see because you you put, you put make a point uh, before, Mike, that, that's important, which is, first of all, Democrats should not even be talking about these hearings in the context of the fall Yeah, elections. they're not a campaign and, commercial. And the minute you fall in that trap, and, it's death. Yeah, it it and and you know you a you're right it's not going to impact largely on the on the fall elections and b uh, you know you cheapen what is really an important right. historical moment by uh, by politicizing it and in this polarized environment that's precisely what Republicans want you to do so but but the reason that the fall looks bleak for them is important which is the economy and nothing's Nothing's no arrows are pointing up here uh, right now. And there's reason for Democrats to be bleak about the fall. The inflation numbers on Friday were stunning. The market is collapsing. Consumer confidence is at a what, 40 year low or something. Well, it's, it's at a low. Uh, it's, it's very low. Uh, I mean, none of these things uh, are uh, are are really auspicious. Uh, for Democrats, and you just get a feeling like some tremendous storm clouds are gathering here. Oh, I think we're beyond that. I think I just saw, you know, uh, a Studebaker get washed down the street. The flood is here politically. And it's, um, you know, inflation is a president killer. And that's been true in American politics for a long time. And we're back in, you know, 1982 numbers. So, so, so I, have an, I, have a, I have a question for, uh, well, I'll, first let me make this comment. I, I, I'm in LA right now my, and Mike's, uh, Mike's, or Mike's neck of the woods normally. Uh, my, and, he felt your aura. And fled. Uh, it's, so, you know, my hometown. <laughs> and I love coming back to LA because I get to see all these, these signs of my youth, like Union 76 gas stations. You know, that's, they, you, right, don't, right, you don't sure. see the 76 anywhere else other than here. I was just at a 76 yesterday, drove by $7.15 yeah, a gallon. 
7.15. I wrote it down, guys. 7.15. Maybe someone floated the Studebaker away because they couldn't afford to Seven, gas it up. 7. I was 15. in David's neck of the woods with the liberal uh, limousine liberals of Beverly Hills. I saw that that weird gas station in Beverly Hills, which always has the highest price in the state, over $8. Okay, but that's but that, if you just acknowledge, it's an, outmo- it's an outlier, but 7.15. I was like, man, okay. So I'm, I'm looking up here uh, as we speak here. Joe Biden's uh, on the on speaking in Philadelphia, and there's a Chiron that says uh, that says Joe Biden in quotes. He's doing everything in his power, everything in my power, to get the cost of gasoline and food down. Right. So, <laughs> in other words, he has no power. Yes. Well, that is my yeah. That's the that issue. is the issue. Everything feeds the big narrative. This is my this is my comment. So, I mean, as a matter, I, I mean, David, I'd ask you this as a question, but I'll I'll make my comment first, which is like. In everything, your point is that everything begins to be narrative. And like when things are, when the, when the fundamentals of the economy are not just strong and not just weak, but are fucking horrific and everywhere you look, it's just more, uh, the visible signs on the gas prices, you see it, you know, the numbers in people's, they're it, it, literally every, every cost. This is why inflation is so ruinous politically because every voter sees it directly, feels it directly, experiences it directly, and things are getting worse, not better. And everything the administration has said about how it was transitory and then it was maybe going to peter out and then it was this and it was that. It all is getting worse. And Democrats will yell and scream and say, you know, inflation's a worldwide phenomenon. I'm like, no one. Yes, it's a worldwide phenomenon. Yeah, supply yeah, chain. It's not fully, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, fully yeah. Joe Biden's fault. I agree with all that. None of it matters. What matters is people here are staring right, at these yeah. daunting numbers and they look up and see, and they, they look up and then what they see is a picture to most of them, of impotence. And so, David, I ask you, if that's what you see, if everything you say, trying to look like you care, feeds the narrative of your own impotence, what do you do about that yeah. if you're President Biden? You better find a way to make the election as best you can, not a referendum. You, you, And it's going to be impossible in terms of those uh, those gale force wins. I, I look, Let me just say parenthetically, I feel for Biden because there are a lot of things that are that are beyond any president's control. He's in that place, but it does, you know, the, the the narrative his opponents have tried to lay down about him was that he's old and 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 impotent, as you said, and uh, so anything that he can't control just feeds uh, feeds that narrative, and he's he's in that place. There's a sense, and I've said it here before, that things are out of control, and he's not in command, and that is the the meta narrative that we're dealing with here. That said, and it may lead into our our, our next uh, topic, Murphy, um, you know, uh, the thing that had that hurt Democrats were those five months. I mean, obviously, all this stuff kills them. But the five months that they were, t- you know, kind of caught up in the um, negotiations over the Build Back Better bill. And there was the the Republicans kept saying, hey, we got all these problems. Why aren't they focused on these problems? Even though the Build Back Better bill was, you know, ostensibly to address a lot of problems. People were why aren't they focused on these problems? They're just off on this left wing agenda and all of that stuff. Well, you know what? I think if I were a de- if I were strategizing for the Democrats, I'd be saying, and what do you expect going to happen when these guys come in? Are they going to be focused on the problems that are affecting your lives? Or are they going to be pursuing their crazy right wing agenda? That'll be the song. The problem is, though, I think the Biden guys quickly made the key era. They, they had a good election message. And then they threw it out and decided, no, he's not an affable, well-intentioned, big-hearted kind of political hack from Delaware. He's FDR. 
And and that fork in the road yeah. let them down a painful, painful thing. Right now, yeah, they're going to try what you're pitching. It's the only thing they got, which is change the subject to they're worse. The, the problem with inflation is every week the average voter gets two high-voltage shocks. They fill up their tank with gas and they, they go, go through a checkout line store, at yeah. the grocery store. And so they get a they get a real hard slap, and they have memory that God during Trump this grocery bill I was buying the same stuff was twenty percent less or more. So that kind of stimulus is hard to fight, and you know they're thinking right now we Sosnick who we had on a while back yeah. uh, has a good point in one of his slideshows, and you know we we basically have been stuck on and you and I David have both talked about this and I'm sure have written about it. Uh, John, we're in rejection politics now. People like to just hit the red button. They've done it seven out of the eight elections. So this one couldn't be easier. Uh, and that's what they're going to do. And then they'll figure out, well, the Republicans might be crazy, but they'll be crazy with $3 gas. And why not? What do I have to lose by buying the lottery ticket? Because I know what I have now ain't working. Yeah. Even though there's absolutely no I mean, the Republicans aren't even talking about these problems. You know? They don't have and to. I, 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 yeah, no, right. I understand. Right. They, they have one, you know, the, the, for them, the problem is Biden. That's the only problem yeah. they got to talk about. Okay, let's take a break right here for a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Hey, X, you know what's not fair? What? Let me tell you about something that's not fair. Okay. The fact that Netflix hides thousands of shows and movies from you based on your physical location. And then they have the nerve to increase their prices on you. They're up to all kinds of tricks. That's right. They just raised their prices once again. But I'll tell you, there's a lot of good content there. But if you really want to unlock it, you need ExpressVPN. Of course. Because that allows you to have Netflix think you're anywhere in the world so you can see the stuff that the Brits get or the French movies we can't get here. You can be a worldwide Netflix consumer all through the magic of ExpressVPN. Yep, ExpressVPN has over 90 countries to choose from, so every time you run out of stuff to watch, you can just switch to another country to unlock new shows. And for a global guy like you, that's got to be a big appeal. Yeah, I love a good German cop show where they're just like the American ones, but Dieter, damn it, there are rules here. Yes, Lightning. We're going to go bust up that schnitzel ring one way or the other. And believe me, or the French one, which is the same, but more girls. Anyway, check out World TV because ExpressVPN allows you to control where Netflix thinks you are and unlocks all kinds of stuff, including like my wife, when during the Downton Abbey craze, we could watch it earlier in the UK before it came to the US. I use it to watch BBC's iPlayer, which has all the great Brit stuff. So also, you need to know ExpressVPN is super fast and works on your phone, laptop, even smart TV. So you can watch your shows on the big screen with zero buffering. If you're a TV nut and you're interested in seeing everything, check out ExpressVPN. Yeah, stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com slash hacks on tap. Don't forget to use our link. So you can, don't forget to use our link so you can get three extra months of ExpressVPN free. That's expressvpn.com slash hacks on tap. E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash hacks on tap. ExpressVPN, Victor Paul Norman dot com slash hacks on tap. Check it out. It'll make your streaming experience a lot better. We're all in the same place here about the realities of this. And I do think, you know, 
Mike's, you know, the, the notion that like you just see, you see and feel the the pain too viscerally, and you know, I mean, you can actually quantify it in terms of what you're paying, uh, how much more you're paying for things you used to pay right. for, pay X, it's X plus, right? So, but the real, but there's a question, right? There are a lot of Democrats out there, guys, who look at two things, and I'm certain you guys have talked about this on the show in the last couple of weeks, but I'll, but I, but I want to hear you talk about it because I. I have missed the last couple episodes of Hacks on Tap. I'll admit that they're, they're queued. What? They're what? queued up. They're queued. I'm sorry. What? They're queued up. They're queued up. They're All queued right. Up. Well, let's go to the like, mailbag. Right. Rep this one up. <laughs> is the, questions that, the questions that I have is Democrats say, okay, we understand we're fucked. We have a hard road to hoe here. We're, we're behind the eight ball, whatever bad cliche you want to use. Guns post Uvalde and and in this this absolutely devastating era when it seems like there's a mass shooting like almost every day right now. It's just as bad as it's ever been. Fitting and, the things of being out of control meme. And the, the likelihood, if not certainty, that the court overturns Roe uh, in the last week of June. Is there a way, as Democrats kind of desperately, but maybe not totally irrationally hope, that there's some way you can stitch those things together and say, Republicans are so extreme on choice and so extreme on guns that there, that's that those are tangible things where if you're trying to make a case against the other side, that the, the Republican positions on those things are pretty extreme, uh, extremely extreme. That there's a possible winning message there that basically says, you know, a Republican world is a world where abortion is outlawed and guns are available to everyone. And do you really want to live in that world? That's why I think. But I think the the, the economic headwinds are so strong that I think if you don't do it as a bank shot. I'm not sure it's enough. I think the bank shot is they're, you know, they're not, they're not, they're obsessed with guns and, and, and choice and, you know, uh, and Trump. They're not focused on gas or groceries. And this is what we're going to have for the next two years. Or, or you, or you, or you. Yeah. So I think, you know, you, you have to incorporate, there has to be a cost beyond just their extreme positions on those issues. And the cost is they're so fucking, I mean, what they're promising and it, it is is sort of chaos and vengeance and crazy right wing, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, side journeys, not uh, constructive efforts to try and deal with the problems facing the country and fa- facing people in their lives. I think there has to be a combo, uh, and I don't know whether it can change anything. Any offense beats defense, and the Democrats at least need an offense, and that's probably the one. I think Roe gives them a tool, something to work with on two levels. It might help off your turnout rise among young voters, particularly young men who, by the way, are the most pro-choice group uh, and don't vote in the off year. So they might be able to harvest some votes, and it might be material in a few Senate races where the Republicans have wackadoodle candidates who might underperform a little. But, you know, you're, 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 you're definitely getting into if Napoleon had nuclear subs and, you know, all that. But it's something. It's something, and they should, they should streamline and do it. Instead, what the Dems are doing, you know, abetted by the process media, which, of course, I understand. I read the stories. You know, I know the commerce. I get it. But we're reading all these delicious stories about whispers in The New York Times about primarying Biden already. We haven't even had the midterms yet. And, you know, you know, in February 2nd, we're going to read about somebody calling people in New Hampshire. Um what 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 happens? Let me ask the hackiest question of all. Maybe they get the big comeback based on Roe and guns in the suburbs, though we're going to talk about the gun bill in a sec. I think that might take a little of the energy out. Um, 
What, what, what is Biden's political life like in the first quarter if he loses majority in both houses? Miserable. Are we in an era now where people just start saying, nope, we need a change, I'm running? Is it that, yeah. that undisciplined now? Listen, first of all, let me say, and I was quoted in that story, I think Biden uh, deserves a hell of a lot more credit than he gets for the things that he has gotten done. And, yeah, for, and, that, and, and for restoring uh, decency and decorum uh, after uh, the kind of profane uh, sullying of the defiling of the White House. Uh, but uh, that said, you know, this is not like another situation. This is not like Barack Obama 2000 and, um, and, and, and 10. You know, the, yes, there was hand wringing then. But the issue with Biden is can he break out of the narrative that he is he's old and ineffectual? Uh, and uh, that's it. You know, one thing we can predict for sure is that he's not going to get younger in the next two years. So that's the that's the that's a problem. Well, no, no, it's like, I, I thought your the quote that I saw of yours, David, which focused on the fact that if he were to get reelected, he'd be closer to 90 than, than, than 80, 80 yeah. at yeah. the end of a second term is actually important. And, and I, I, you know, can't say it. it the, the facts are the facts. You know, he, I, I've, I've said it before. I've known him since 1986. I'm a fan. I like Joe Biden. Yeah. And, yeah. And, but he, but he, but you can't get away from it. He looks old and he acts old because he is old and he, and he is just going to get older and older. And like, I, you know, I don't know very many people in my life and you guys are both pushing 80 at this point. You know, you guys know Man, you're feeling it. Speaking to the horn. Murphy Sorry. was pushing 80 when he was 20. I'm You're fading. feeling it. How many people do you know in that age group? Like, where you think, yeah, you know, that 88-year-old man, or is that, that sorry, that, that 78-year-old, 80-year-old, 82-year-old man I know is the right guy to take on the hardest job in the world. Not, I mean, everybody has, a, has an 80-year-old yeah. grandparent or parent, and they say, I love them. They're great. They're lucid. They're lovely. But this is the hardest job in, in the world. And I think that, and that's a very hard thing to fight. It's a very hard question to fight. And that's why I think this whole discussion was inevitable. You know, the question of Joe Biden is right to say, I'm the only one out here who beat Donald Trump. Right, right. And no one else in the that's room can say that. That's what they'll say, yeah. I, I, that's what Joe Biden says, I think, to himself every day. Anybody, right. he says, hey, how many how many of you people who say I shouldn't run in 2024, how many of you guys have beat, Joe, beat Donald Trump? And how many told him he was too old to run in 20? Right. However, you'll get to the end of when the midterms happen. Yeah. If, if Democrats lose one or both houses of Congress, there's just inevitably going to be a, a an evaluation that Joe Biden's going to have to do at that point. Yeah. About I think it might be more forward. of a stampede, just the nature of the the world now. But you know how it is with these with these guys. And David, you know Biden. It's like he will do this on his time. He will do it with. Well, Dr. that's Jill. the danger. But it's going to be. He's not going to get railroaded out of the White House. But I no, think no. There will be a reevaluation in the face of political calamity if that's what happens. Well, if we it'll get, be yeah. a kangaroo court evaluation. If he were to run, I think he will be the nominee of the Democratic Party. I think that if he were primaried. You know, we know the history of what happens when incumbent presidents are primaried. They 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 don't win re-election, uh, even if they if they win the nomination. So if he I, he'd be the nominee, I think it would be foolish uh, to primary him. But that that doesn't resolve the question of whether he should run. And he does think that I I know he thinks that I'm the only guy who can stop Trump. Trump isn't you know the same thing that we heard in 2020. He's an existential. 
uh, crisis. And you're right, John, he won't decide until late. He never does. So what does it mean if he decides in September of 2023 that, you know what, I don't think I can go? Then you're basically left with the candidates who are on the field in 2020. If there's no time for anybody else to, uh, you know, maybe someone will spend money. And, you know, my governor, uh, J.B. Pritzker, who's quite wealthy, he's in New Hampshire this weekend. There are tons of other guys and gals who want to run. And maybe the people with resources think they can leverage their way into the race. But but the likelihood is the field will be the field. And you'll get, you know, Bernie or Elizabeth Warren or both or Klobuchar, the vice president. Uh, Kamala, yeah, exactly. You know, may, maybe Buttigieg. Um, and that that would be what Biden's delay will cause, because it'll be harder for someone to build a, a campaign over time. And these campaigns are proving grounds. Doesn't he have to decide basically by Christmas? Doesn't he have to decide over the holidays, essentially, you know, what he's like, you'll ultimately see what happens in the midterms. And then you basically have Thanksgiving and Christmas, go decide and then come back and, and make a decision then. No, isn't that the kind of timeline you have to be on? Yeah, that's the timeline you want. But if he gets wiped out in the midterms, if he launches that trial balloon in January, it's going to get shot down and the whole debate will be he's out of his mind thinking he can run. So he needs a win to launch off of. And the clock is ticking, as you both say. So he's in a vice. I'll tell you something. I think they're going to continue to send signals that he's going to run until he decides he's not going to run. But I sort of assume he'll go. I sort of assume he'll go on vacation over the Christmas holidays. He will have, and I mean, I don't mean this of, in a of 2022. Way. Of 2022, after the midterms have sunk in, <laughs> not 23. No, not 23. 22. That he'll at that midterms have sunk in, you know, uh, and he will go and have a non-euphemistic, real conversation with his family. Which I don't know what the outcome of that will be, but I can't imagine that won't happen. You know, you know, that's the other thing he does, David, is he and Mike. You know, is he tends to do. He makes these decisions over the holidays, usually in consultation with Jill and maybe a couple of the family members. And I just can't imagine he's going to try to put it off for longer than that, but maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah, know Yeah, I just think, it, boy, oh boy, I don't want to be the Biden, even the great genius Anita Dunn. I want to see how they orchestrate January with, well, we just wiped out the entire party and we're running. Yeah. And just the the the, the crickets that'll His come His approval back. rating's at 40 now. It's unlikely to improve much between now and November. If he gets wiped out, that approval rating will go from 40 to 35. And that's what he's going to be. That's what he's likely to be looking at. Can I say one thing that's going to make Mike mad? This is going to be, I, I'm saying this just to make Mike, uh, to make that's it Mike's That's always reaction. fun. Go ahead. Yeah, go it's, for and it. And also, I also get to promote my, promote my Hell and High Water again. I've got Simone Sanders on the podcast that just came out this week. And she says she thinks that Biden will run again. But more importantly, she said, if Biden doesn't run, and Harris does run, she's 100% certain that Biden will be with Harris. What do you think about that, Mike? I think, you know, soothsaying is an unlicensed profession, so anybody can. I got the amazing Kreskin on the other line. He says, uh, not so. I just want I just want to see you get rise to the bait. No, on no, I, Kamala you know, Harris. I, I, I get the you. argument. And so the interesting thing about Kamala Harris is every Republican consultant thinks she'd be the easiest possible major Democratic candidate to beat in a general election. She could reelect Trump. On the other hand, Pity the fool who tries to go into the Democratic primaries if Kamala Harris can have a, a African American voter base. You know yeah. the numbers are tough. She she's going to have a primary, man. She's it, oh, she, I think it, for sure she will yeah. have she she will have a primary. Here's another dilemma: her numbers are ten points worse than Biden's uh, or thereabouts in some of these polls. If he does run, if he were to run, 
at 82. He's now he said he'd retain her as vice president. Yeah, but it's tough. But what he can't get rid of her, you know, because their their coalition. It, I mean, this is poor Biden. He's in the Star Wars garbage compactor in eight different ways here, <laughs> and it's just you know you should hope for the big worm to come up and get him to end the misery. So Biden, here's how you get out of this. All right, I'm going to save you, Joe. Appoint Kamala Harris czar of gas prices tomorrow. Let her take point on this. And uh, that gives you a little moving room to go start a war in prescription drug prices and Republican craziness and some other stuff. Well, that your last part is absolutely true when you talk about what Democrats need to do. They need to, you know, they, there's, there's talk that Manchin is willing to go do something on drug prices and a couple of things. A couple of those would be really tangible yeah, things they, they that go fight. to... That would fill out the positive side of the choice equation, and they desperately need that. By the way, speaking of fights, we should probably loop back and just talk about this gun bill. I'll give you my very quick take. It is a step forward. It is not a leap forward, but a step forward in the politics we have is a big win. They ought to get on board. And then if I'm on the Democrats after it's done, I go run on the raising the limit to 21. Mm-hmm. Yes. The big national wedge mm-hmm. issue. Out yes, of it. yes. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, I do as well. I am tired of working for the Democratic Party, by the way, Axe. If you guys well, can get your credit. So we're together. the only ones that would have you. <laughs> That's probably true. I actually think that the raising the that raising the, the age from to twenty one is in fact even more salient and obvious an issue than than background checks. It, I, it I works in the it's data. It's something that yeah. any any every idiot understands that notion. Who actually stands up and says, Yes, I would like to even the even I mean obviously there are people in the NRA world but like it's it's a it got to be an eighty it's got to be, what an eighty plus an eighty plus percent issue that eighteen year olds shouldn't be able to buy semi automatic weapons it's crazy you can't buy a beer but you can yes, buy, you can buy a, an AR fifteen it's 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 insane let's stop for a minute and listen to a word from one of our fine sponsors. Well, hackeroos, today we're going to change it up from political hackdom. And we're going to talk about a love story, uh, aging <laughs> political hack, and a magical mattress that comes in a box. David, when did you first fall in love with the Helix sleep mattress? Well, when they sent me one, uh, <laughs> and I tried it out out of obligation. And on, on, this is the honest to God truth. Uh, I slept on that mattress last night, and every time I lie down on that mattress, I think this is the best mattress I've ever had. And you know me, Murphy. I can't really bullshit that well on this uh, commercial stuff. This is a great mattress, and people should take advantage of it. Folks, I'm telling you, the guy goes on. It, 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 he won't shut up about the Helix mattress. He loves it. He uses it. He's had trouble sleeping. And this thing has been the perfect product, which is why we're so proud that they're a sponsor. And we, I may go take a nap on it right after this. Right. We, we, we delight in plugging it. Now, here's the secret, I think, to Helix. And then, David, you can tell us what you think. But Helix Sleep, if you go to their website, has a quiz. It only takes two minutes to complete, and it matches your body type and sleep preferences so you get the right mattress. They they learn about you because you take this two-minute quiz, then they ship you the one that will work the best. I mean, why would you buy a mattress made for someone else? With Helix, you're getting a mattress that you know will be perfect for the way you 100%. sleep. 100%. Yeah. And you know what's cool? It, com- it does come in a box, and it's like, what the hell is this? And you open the box, and it's wrapped. This mattress is wrapped, and you cut the plastic off, and the mattress expands. And, you know, after a while, you've got the perfect mattress tailored to you. 
look, and it's not just David. I mean, he loves the mattress not only for the great sleep, but because it can vote in Chicago. But seriously, Helix is so awesome. It was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution. So just go to helixsleep.com slash hacks, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. I'm telling you, they have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free, 100 nights. You ought to be able to make a decision by then. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. Trust me, folks. Helix even has financing options and flexible payments so that a great night's sleep is never far away. And now Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash hacks. And the pillows don't take a political position here. They don't whisper any candidate names to you in the middle of the night, if you know what I mean. Nonpartisan pillows, yes. You know, in Pennsylvania, the Democrats helped Mastriano uh, get nominated. Mastriano being the the crazy pants candidate running for governor on the flat world theory. Well, yeah, I mean, he's a QAnon guy. He's an election And an denier. election denier, and yeah. he wants to try to fix the next election for Trump. But he got a boost on television, just to explain to our audience that might have a life and not follow this stuff like we do, as David brings up, the Democratic kind of too clever by half candidate said, hey, I'll run ads saying the guy's such a conservative, it's amazing to help him win the primary. Yeah, I mean, we'll see if he was too clever by half. When No, he'll when, probably win. He's just playing with. Yeah, you know, although, I mean, the, the, the stakes have been raised dramatically, uh, but this is going on. Look, it's in Illinois. Uh, the Democrats have done the same thing, running ads, attacking uh, one of the Republican primary candidates for being uh, too conservative, which uh, using all the things that will make that made him more popular with Dem- uh, with Republican primary voters. He's going to win the primary. Here's a he's a here's an ad from uh, Colorado from the Senate race in Colorado, just to give you a flavor of it. How conservative is Ron Hanks? Hanks was rated one of the most conservative members in the state house. He says Joe Biden's election was a fraud. Hanks wants to ban all abortions, and he wants to build Trump's border wall. Hanks even sponsored a bill that would allow concealed carry with no permits. Ron Hanks, too conservative for Colorado. Democratic Colorado is responsible for the content of this advertising. Boy, that Hanks is making a lot of sense. (laughs) I had no idea. Yeah. I mean that mu- that music that music's awesome. I want that to be my to be my walk on music. This is now. this <laughs> is to try and influence the Democratic the Republican primary for the opponent uh, to Michael Bennett in that state. We all remember in 2012 uh, when uh, Claire McCaskill uh, uh, played this uh, card. I think she just wrote a piece about it. Played this card in Missouri to get Todd Akin. Uh, uh, nominated a guy who was unelectable in the general election. The question is, I guess, what is the risk of this strategy uh, in a year where there could be a flood? Yeah. Uh, and I mean, how many of these, uh, how many of these, uh, you know, sort of hard right, QAnon hugging people will be delivered on shore by this flood 
of uh, well, you know, the, the, yeah, the odds are it'll work. It's a very cynical ploy. I, I just, you know, it's battlefield nuclear weapons. It all makes perfect sense until everybody has cancer. You know, it can go wrong. There's you're playing with fire here because you're you're using money to amplify unserious people to get them one step closer to office, and that is a grim business. And just to, just to say the explicit thing that Mike is getting close to saying, which is. Yes, I think in a I, look. You got to. I think we all agree about this. Your job as a candidate is to win election, and and that's the, the and so you want to run against the the most the, the ideal opponent, the best possible opponent from your point of view. So making doing this makes sense. Either, is there a risk? Yeah, in a year like this, there's a risk that a bunch of nut jobs end right. up uh, in in Washington D.C. Who, when we get to 2024, because they're in the United States Senate or in the House or in the governor's mansion, you know, can can wreak havoc with our democracy because we've because by doing this thing, you know, it turns out they weren't too conservative for Colorado. That, that guy turns out in a wave year to just get just over the edge. Just and right for Colorado. And now you've yeah. got some right. nutcase in, Cong- in, right. in the Senate right. who's gonna who's gonna pass bad policies and and enable. Uh, and subvert democracy and do all kinds of other bad things. So is there a risk? Yeah, there's a real risk, but I understand why Bennett and the Colorado Democrats are doing it. Yeah. Murphy, I hear you. Uh, First of all, I remember actually our battle in Iowa. I think we began running ads uh, against your candidate uh, in the primary uh, period there. But so I I think I think that's correct. I was among among one of those cynics. But uh, (laughs) but I know but I also I've been put through the meat grinder by you many times in elections or uh, sometimes in elections. And it reminds sometimes me, hearing, hearing you talk, hearing, hearing you uh, harumph about this reminds me of the old Groucho Marx line about Doris Day saying, I, I knew her before she was a virgin. <laughs> no, no, no. Look, I know I'm pearl clutching, but the only thing is the order of magnitude of the crazy now raises the stakes. Even if yeah, there's no, a 10% chance. I, I take your chance, point. I do take your you point. You know, it's just, you know, like this monster mama, whatever the hell his name is guy in Pennsylvania, he gets to appoint the secretary of state. That guy becomes the fluke governor. Uh, you know, the electoral college will be five guys named Moore to work for him. I mean, it is, yeah, it just, you know, in a 10% downside scenario, it's okay to it's have bad. a downside, but what about a tragic downside? You know, you got to just think about it. I, I completely hear you. So it's primary day in the great state of South Carolina. You got two congressional races. The great Tom Rice, who voted to impeach, is fighting in South Carolina 7th there on the northern coast. Tough one, but he's in the fight, which in itself is surprising a lot of Republicans. Then you have Nancy Mace, who was kind of anti-Trump, now trying to be very pro-Trump in a big race with Katie Arrington, who beat Mark Sanford, only to lose the general in a more competitive swing district uh, around Charleston. So what do we think about that? Could that be a tell, even if they get close? I don't know. I mean, I think if uh, if if Rice becomes Rice-a-roni after this, <laughs> I think that uh, I think that. You know, it'll be another notch in Trump's, uh, in Trump's, uh, you know, story narrative. Um, the Nancy Mays thing, in a sense, is a mixed story because she went up to Trump Tower and pledged fealty right. to Trump to yeah, launch no, no. She her did a campaign. snapback. She, she was, she's embraced. Yeah. She's trying to. She's throwing her arms around Trump while Trump runs away. It's kind of like you know. This is the problem, isn't it? That uh, that. You know, when people say, well, you know, he endorsed this person, that person won, and this, they're all endorsing him. Yes. But how do you think the Rice thing will turn out? Because the Rice thing seems to be the most interesting thing. I don't know. Yeah, because he's putting up a bit of a fight. Yeah. He's putting up a, he's, he's basically put up more than a bit of a fight. He's basically, he's not backed away from the notion that he, yeah. he's like, 
He's, he's, he's criticized Trump. He said he, he's yep. proud of his impeachment vote. He says Trump was wrong uh, about, about 2020 election. Yep. He's basically yep. doing as, yeah. as much as you would ask any Republican to do. In South Carolina. There's a theory, and people miss one of the, the details in this one, and I applaud it because he's showing real guts. And politically, it's not that dumb. He, he is well entrenched in that district. He is a popular incumbent with roots, and he knows that South Carolina does not have party registration. So anybody can vote in a Republican primary. And he's taking a look at Brad Raffensperger down in Georgia, who profited from crossover votes. And he's thinking, I'd rather bet on the bigger electorate where I am well-known in my district and well-liked versus try to put on a phony Trump Chewbacca suit and fake my way through. So I think he's making the smartest bet he could make and the ballsiest bet. So I'm hoping he does well. The polling's pretty tight. He's in the hunt. We'll see what happens. Could be a big win. If he were to win? That'd be one hell of a story because, you know, you know Liz Cheney, as uh, steadfast and courageous as she's been, you know, it seems like she's headed for a pretty hard primary defeat in Wyoming. So if someone can stare down Trump and, yes. and survive, that, that, that would be a pretty important narrative. Yeah, and even I think just to, like I, I totally take Mike's point about, about the registration thing in that primary, but the national story will be. If, if if he if he wins will be in a state as conservative as South Carolina, yeah, yeah, totally. managed to hold on, and people will think that that's that. And I think it will be salutary uh, in that sense. Here's my question for the two of you guys. I know we got to get to the mailbag, but I still because I have you, I get to see you both so rarely, and you're both. Uh, I learn pretty, pretty much good looking, I, huh? Uh, well, I, I don't come. I don't come for the eye candy. Let's put it that way. I come for the. I come for the sustenance and the. There's and the a inside. reason we're in radio. So the two of the, so the two the two the two of you geniuses, I, I believe, both think. That Cheney is probably going to lose and not even going to be pretty soundly beaten in her primary. Is that correct? Well, she's going to get hammered with ours, but she's got the crossover thing working too. Not enough okay. to save her. Breaks my heart. But I don't think okay. the expectations are 25 point wipeout. I think it'll be tighter. Okay. But, it, but you think she's going to lose. So my question to the, the two genius, to, to you two geniuses is on the back of, of, the, of the profile that she's built around. I'm going to be a principled avatar of the old Republican Party. This is a battle for the soul of our party. I'm going to fight that battle all the way in the barricades. I don't care what it costs me. Is there the makings there of a post-primary loss, post-congressional, national uh, profile for her? Is that, I mean, this woman, I think she, I mean, she wants to run for president, right? Uh, but yeah, do you think that's yeah. a, there's a way to build a presidential campaign out of that? Well, Republican primary presidential campaign, not easy. But I think both she and Kinzinger have had that thought and may explore it. And uh, I, I think she's got the moral courage of the party along with a few others. But the practical politics of running a Republican primary, not as a beyond Trump person or even a reformed conservative, but as a direct on Trump was a stain in our history, the, the math's pretty hard for that. But maybe she'll try. Look, there's a quarter of the party that might be receptive uh, to that. The problem is she won't be the only one out there. You know, she's, she's lionized uh, Pence for what he did uh, in uh, in refusing to follow Trump's uh, orders, um, and he clearly is going to be in that presidential race. There'll be others, you know, as well. But you know, look, she—you can't help but be impressed by how she's conducted herself through all of this, and uh, and you know, she's the star of these hearings as far as the panel goes. Um, you know, I, you know, it's just not a channel that plays in Republican primary precincts. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Other than that, it's great. I applaud her. And she may wind up in the cabinet for somebody down the road, even a Democrat. 
Yeah. I also mm-hmm. just keep I also just keep wondering whether this is a lo- something that we don't see in politics very much, which is a longer game. Not like I'm going to run in 2024 for president, but starting to think about like, oh yeah, maybe oh, there totally. will be a day. There yeah, will be totally. a day. She, in her mind, this is part of a long twilight struggle for the soul of the party, and that there's a day, you know, uh, if not not two years from now, but six years or ten years from now, she's a young woman. You know, she could, could be. She could be, running, I, she could be running for president 20 years from now. I can guarantee we'll be we'll be tracking it here on Hack. So let's before we go to the music, one last very quick thing: keep an eye on the Utah Senate race. Deseret News poll, four points. Mike Lee, uh, 41. Evan McMullen, the independent kind of right of center candidate. There is no Democrat this year, only four points behind him. That could become one of the weirdest sleeper interesting races in the country. Mike Lee, man, that dude is in, not in a good place. Yeah, they don't like him. He's got a primary. They do probably not. win. They do not. But do not he's like got trouble. Yet. And McMullen is running as kind of a center-right guy. And the Democrats, have, it's a very interesting, very special, very Utah thing. And a four-point, it's serious. And the, the Washington ought to pay some so attention. So, Mike, what, is, what does Mitt Romney do? Oh, I think he waits and watches. And I'm not speaking for him. But if uh, if Evan McMullen is in a really close race and a significant chunk of the R's are supporting him, then Mitt will have a big decision to make. But I'm telling you, four points right now? And not McMullen hasn't put a dime on television yet. Anyway, it's interesting. Worth a yeah. watch. All right. Mailbag. It's listener mailbag. That's the only reason I do this show. The only reason I do it is to hear that, to get to hear that through my headphones. It's like fantastic. Yeah. Well, and, and thank you for joining the chorus, John. You're, you were very, very good there. <laughs> that is a famous jingle. It was on 500 radio stations in the go-go 70s and 80s. It's the old <laughs> classic, and I had the guys re-sing it, who made the jingle. They owned American Radio for 40 years. It's Mike's ringtone, actually. Hey, Fox, do you have the old intro for Radio Free GOP? Now that's a jingle. boom there's an oldie for everybody okay fantastic wow incredible okay if you have a mailbag question email them to us we actually read this stuff send it to hacks on tap at gmail.com hacks on tap at gmail.com and don't forget we got a good one out this morning it's free twice a week by email the hacks on tap newsletter with gibbs and i full of filthy gossip and stuff you don't hear in the podcast all you got to do is go to hacksontap.bulletin.com subscribe Check your spam filter twice a week. We'll give you what's really going on. All right, our first question. We're going to get right to it from Stephen, who doesn't fool around. For Axelrod, why are we stuck with Chuck <laughs> Schumer, and how could we replace him? I don't know, Stephen. I, 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 uh, I'm very good at reading people, and this suggests <laughs> to me that you are not happy with the majority leader. Uh, look, I think there's a bigger question, which is, will he be in a position to be the majority leader in 2000? In 23, and will Democrats retain the Senate? Uh, and that will, ref- you know, I mean, I think he's going to have to wear the jacket somewhat for for that. I'm sure that he's working this issue right now and trying to keep his majority. But Democrats are hopeful that they they have a better sort of scenario in terms of where there are opening uh, open seats: Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Uh, they've got well-funded incumbents in Arizona and in uh, Georgia. Uh, they they have they're hopeful that they can hang on to Nevada, uh, which is a very competitive race. But if the tide is really high, if the tide is really high, the question will be not whether Schumer will be the majority leader, but whether he'll be the minority leader. And that's really 
I think, the focus right now. How's that, guys? Mm-hmm. Oh, what I'm sorry. Of- Not at off. It was great. <laughs> sorry. What? Yeah. What? What was he saying? Yeah. I thought it was an elegant evasion. Yeah. My, Mike, can you be more blunt about it? Do you think Chuck Schumer is a good majority leader? No. What do you think is wrong with him? He's a peacetime majority leader. He kind of knows how to move legislation. He's not a campaign messaging guy. He doesn't wield the Senate like a weapon to win elections. Um, it, it, you know, this is the problem both parties have. When you have leadership from safe places where they don't have to work hard in their own reelects, they don't have skills that help the wider caucus. McConnell's kind of an exception to that rule. Yeah, I think Pelosi is probably one of the most effective legislative leaders of our, of our time. Uh, and she'll be remembered as such. Uh, and, you know, part of the reason that she's so effective is she's great at the politics of understanding her caucus. Uh, but she also has actual beliefs and, and, and principles that uh, she is willing to go to the ramparts for. The Affordable Care Act is an example of that. And I think she's a, a, a model, you know, for you, you need both. You know, I, think, I would I really, would agree, really except the last year is a bit of a tarnish on the all-star record, but there is an all-star record before that. I know we were just talking, we started talking about Schumer. Schumer's 71 years old, which which comparatively speaking is like a spring yeah, chicken. Yeah, he's a kid. The House leadership on the Democratic side, this is the party of youth, the party <laughs> of, 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 you've got the, 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 this, the, the, the party that's supposed to represent young voters. Nancy Pelosi, how old, guys? 81, 82. 82. Yeah. 82. Yeah. Steny Hoyer, age? 83. 83. Jim Clyburn, Jim Clyburn, age 81. That's the three top House Democrats. That's a hundred and let's see, that's 247 years of experience, man. What you're saying is they haven't had a new idea since the moon landing. Listen, I'm just, I'm just saying, I don't think that five, I don't think three. That turn is going to come. That I'm just trying to say. I would be stunned if Nancy Pelosi uh, were still in office in, at the end of this year, she's running because she thinks she's the principal fundraiser for the party. She doesn't want to seem uh, to be a jumping ship. I would be stunned if she were, were in the next Congress. She'll obviously win re-election. Uh, so I think that that change is coming. She, it's time for it, too, to like it's declare time. victory. It's just time. It's just time. I think it's she no, knows no dist- that also. It's no okay, dist so to any of those people. I have a question for John Heilman from Barbara who asks, do you expect the Department of Justice to press any charges based on the 1-6 commission hearings? I would say, Barbara, it's a very good question, and it's the thing we didn't talk about earlier in the podcast, right? We talked about the question of whether uh, the hearings will move the needle. And what we were asking, because this is the Hacks on Tap podcast, was kind of whether it would move the needle politically uh, related to the midterms or 2024 or other things. We didn't talk about you know, whether it would move the needle on the judgment of history, and I won't do that here either because that's way too highbrow for this group. But there is a third hey, hey, audience. Hey, wait a minute. Go there ahead. is a third audience. There's the short-term political audience. There's the long-term for history audience. And then there's this other audience. And that audience is the DOJ. And and I I, I don't know what's going to happen. I won't even I won't speculate on what the exact outcome is going to be. But I will say that I think if you look at the evidence that the committee is is putting forward so far in two hearings in which there has been way more in the face of all the leaks and all the stuff we thought we knew, there has been way more new information in these two hearings uh, that has been adduced uh, than most of us ever expected. I think every time that that some of this ev- the, the more evidence that piles up in this committee hearing, the more public pressure mounts on Merrick Garland because a lot of this evidence is, in fact, evidence that points toward criminal conduct on the part of the president. There are at least two different, a federal court judge has said, 
that he's that he's likely to have committed crimes on two counts. Um, Liz Cheney, you know, Betty Thompson yesterday uh, said that the committee wasn't going to do any any referrals, and very quickly, Liz Cheney and other committee members came out and said publicly, "Whoa, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We may we may very well send criminal referrals. They send criminal referrals to the Justice Department. Doesn't force Merrick Garland to act, but man." The public pressure, the political pressure, mount it. Will mount. Will mount. You kick us around for being too lowbrow to raise points about history and stuff, and then you introduce the word "adduced." Okay, <laughs> so get your story straight here. That seems man. consistent. That seems consistent take, to me. Take, I'm, take you know. it. It's a hugely important decision, weighty decision for the attorney general. I think it's more likely if an indictment's going to come around this election stuff, it's going to come in the courts of Georgia. Where the grand jury is in panel. Yeah, that's a down good point. There. So, uh, so Mike Murphy, uh, Lisa spelled L E E S A. What is the feasibility of Pete Buttigieg running for president in 2024 if Joe Biden decides to run uh, to run for re-election? In other words, would he challenge the president he's now serving in the cabinet? How successful do you think Buttigieg would be in another Democratic primary race? Well, I would be shocked, shocked, shocked if he were to primary uh, Biden. He's a loyal kind of guy, and he's not a big chance taker like that. I think he will run for president again. Um, he's an interesting new generational candidate. He's the best communicator in their party. His problem is in internal Democratic politics, to date at least, he has been unable to get arrested with African-American voters down south, which is one of the, the probably the biggest leg of the Democratic primary winning tripod. So he's got some work to do, but keep your eye on him. He's a thoroughbred, and I think he will run again. I, I, there's no question he's going to run again. And if you look at that at that documentary that came out a few months ago, uh, that where he had gave access to a bunch of filmmakers, and I think it was on Amazon Prime. I can't remember the platform, but there was this Buttigieg, very like like a lot of documentaries that were made about Barack Obama that were very uh, adulatory and, and hagiographic. Uh, it really uh, positioned. Not him. that that's a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, I was shocked by that. How did how at least that Barack o- at least Barack Obama had had adulatory hagiographic documentaries after he won the Democratic primary and then <laughs> became the first the first black president of the United States, uh, which did not, neither of which happened uh, for Buttigieg. But but it's clearly was a thing with an eye towards the future, and he is forty years old, and he's, yeah. he's yeah. not only I think he's not only a very solid communicator, Mike. He's also like one of the most ambitious, obviously nakedly. I don't mean this even in a bad way, but just he's he's. He has he's got like seven cycles guy. before he's Biden's age, so yes, he's got correct. plenty he's, of time. He's got plenty of time, and 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 I think and, I, and that I think though Mike put his hand up, his finger on the problem though. The finger is, and it's and one of the reasons there's a finger, there, that it's a problem, and maybe this will change over time, as we have observed in the past. It's like it's not due to lack of effort. It's not like Pete Buttigieg can't solve his problem with African American voters uh, just by trying. There are some cultural. Uh, circles right. that are going to be hard to square for him, or at least traditionally there have been with African American voters and gay uh, candidates. So we'll see how that works. How that may change over time. May change so, over time. Yes. And besides, I predict that his incredible work as vice president for our next great president, Gia Raimundo, uh, will catapult. Him oh, here to we go. Great future. Gia Raimundo, you're turning it up. God, there you go. It's been a while. It's been a while. We all we all predict a repeat but not necessarily in 2024. We got to go, man. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. It was fun. Good to see you, Highland. Always good to see you, brother. Don't be a stranger. Um, You know, anytime you guys call, you know what I always say. When you guys say jump, I say when. I don't know. You say how much is what you say. (laughs) Thank you, guys. That was fun. Good to see you. All right. See you, guys. 